I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Don't fight the future. Here comes Luca. Welcome to 77 Minutes in Heaven, a Dallas Mavericks podcast. The only Mavericks podcast that's trying to book travel to LA right now, but forgetting how I haven't done this in um, a year and a half. It's been a while. This is, this is gonna be my first flight. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in LA for game seven. I'm gonna be there. It's gonna be my first flight since COVID, since the plague. Um what what better city to visit than LA than that? I'm Tim Cato, I write about the Mavericks. We got Law Murray. Law, what's up? What's good, dude? Hey, man, you're coming to a city that has been very hospitable to the Dallas Mavericks over the last couple of weeks. Isn't that weird that there is a chance the road team wins every game this series? It's as weird as the bubble last year where there was actually a series, Celtics-Raptors, where the same thing happened. The road team wound up, the designated road team won every game of that series. Of course, we're not talking about okay. that series like this year because those were all, for all intended purposes, neutral site games. But the cadence of the series was the same. It's like you saw the other team's design on the court and it was like, this is our game to win. <laughs> Yeah, well, didn't they like Photoshop it on there? Or it was all like digital ads and, and nonsense like that. Something like I that. I think so. I can't remember. You know, they had the 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 wall of faces, which looked like something out of I don't I don't know, just one of those. Uh, just I don't want to say science fiction, especially since I didn't read science fiction growing up. But like, it just seemed like something <laughs> out of a novel that you know one of us would have read when we were like thirteen and. And, it was and not so a good bizarre. fun sci-fi novel, like no. very dystopic. No, especially like, when you, there was, especially yeah. when you hear the reaction of the players who were in the bubble and how it affected them. It was like we're playing games in front of faces. There's no crowd, and then you're seeing your opponent after the game is over, just hanging out. You know, dude, it's weird. Yeah, that, that was weird. The I, I would. Hey, I'm the only one saying this. Nobody has said this, but I think the past 18 months they've been kind of weird. Yeah. You know, like more people should be talking about that. But, you know, what What are you going to yeah. do? So I guess I guess I got to beat this drum all by myself. OK, so so game six, the Clippers win. Kawhi Leonard was magnificent, um, obviously focusing on on the Mavericks. But good Lord, Kawhi, that was that was incredible. Yeah. Um, any 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 big picture thoughts? I, I have quite a few thoughts about game six, quite a few thoughts about game seven, but let's let's kick it to you. What you know, we're just talking here. We're just talking. It's it's twelve fifty four AM in Dallas time. A little, little sooner a little for sooner. you. You know? fuck 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 you, West Coast guys. Like this ain't fair. Like it's not even midnight there. That's Come that on, ain't man. fair. You, you, so uh, you talk to somebody to be back from on the Pacific East Coast. Just to, so I'm 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. I I I I endure okay, certain enough. things I enjoy about it, but then these nights get late, man. These nights get late. You used to, hey, you're you're in Texas. This game was a Texas game, so yeah, you got to watch out for the nights. That's what uh, that's what Frank Ocean says. So, <laughs> got to watch out for those yeah. nights. All right, what's uh, what's your what's your takeaways? What if you got one 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 or two big takeaways from Game Six? I mean, what you got the for us? Most obvious one is I wrote about regression. Uh. After game five, just because that's how the game story looked until the mistakes that the Clippers made and how Dallas just opened up that stretch where they scored 18 unanswered points. And at that point, it's like, well, this isn't about the Clippers finally getting their shots together. This is about the Dallas Mavericks really taking advantage of the Clippers doing bonehead stuff again. Um, But Kawhi, in terms of regression, he regressed off of how great he was games two, three, and four in game five. If anyone needed a... Yeah, he yeah, progressed, he, maybe. He, he, yeah, progression well, to the mean. Well, yeah. You know, like, the thing about regression is sometimes it's positive, right? Sometimes you regress... Right, it just doesn't sound like it exactly. should be. So I like, I like to create a new word and say progression, even though that's not... Like, regression is the right yeah. word. It just doesn't sound like it's the right word. So I love saying progression in those moments. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. See, see what I mean? I'm playing a road game here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 77 minutes. <laughs> hey, so so was one of the dumb things... Was one of the dumb things, the Clippers... I didn't actually read your Game 5 article. It was, it's was. it been a busy few days. Um, was one of the dumb things the Clippers did in Game 5 was playing Zubach at the same time as... I Hodges. know you called because that that is out. something I highlighted you know, when the I fun, wrote. The funny thing yeah. is, I saw you tweet that Game 3... You know, that you were shocked that Ty started Zoo for right. game three, the game where Dallas took a 30 to 11 first quarter lead. And I stole that tweet from my story at game three because I'm like, bro, how does this happen? And like you mentioned, you're one of your takeaways out of game five. You were like, I basically can't believe Zoo subbed in for PG when Paul picked up that fourth foul. And it's funny, man, going into game six this Friday night. Uh, I had had computer issues. I wanted to ask Ty one question. I wanted to ask him if Paul gets the fouls and you got to sub him out. One, do you? Because it's a playoff series. Ty Lue won a playoff series because Nate McMillan kept subbing Victor Oladipo out in 2018 in the first round when Victor was killing the Cavaliers, right? So I was like, do you you leave him in? Do you trust him? Or if you have to take him out, who do you put in? Do you, do you dare go back to something like you did in game five? That didn't come up tonight because Paul stayed out of foul trouble. You know who else stayed out of foul trouble? Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard played 40, nearly 42 minutes, guarded Luka more than he had probably all series long, successfully stayed on him because a big part of team defense is Luka sees a switch. He wants it. He eats. He's literally played two reliable Clipper starters off the floor off the floor, out of the series, doing that. And uh, Kawhi just, he did a good job staying on Luka and then, of course, being the hyper-efficient player that he was in the previous three games before Game 5. Like, I mean, he needed a bounce-back game, but he delivered arguably his best game, not his most important, not his most meaningful, but arguably his best two-way performance ever, regular season or playoffs. Dude, he was he was absurd. Um that was oh man the the two icing threes that was that was robot stuff that was mechanical that was I didn't wild. see what Rondo um, uh, Rondo it, was looking at Kawhi at the end of this one 
because uh, you saw when he hit when he missed that corner three in game five and and the meme that came out from that one it's like Kawhi needed a bounce back game and we weren't talking we ain't talking about who's looking at Kawhi a certain kind of way after game six okay so two two observations or a few observations and then one big thing that I want us to talk about um one is is the is the fatigue of of Kawhi um Luca, honestly, the fatigue of the stars. Luca was also dead tired. There was a very purposeful meaning and idea of attacking him in the fourth quarter, knowing he was tired. That was effective. It worked. I, I'm, I'm a Mavericks writer. I may be biased here. I'm less worried about Luca with, and again, they have 36 hours of recovery time. They play 12 p.m. Pacific time. You know, like legitimately 36 hours from now. For game seven. Yeah. And a time zone change. You know right. how that affects guys. I, I think Luca's up for it because I have watched Luca and he is always up for it, especially when he's had a downer game. Like you saw him game four to game five. Um, I've, I've seen him do this so many times. Do you have worries about Kawhi with the load that he went through and, and his ability to get up in that same way for game five or sorry for game seven after what he did in game six? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, it is my biggest concern going into Game 7 for the Clippers. Uh, did you see how Game 1 started, Tim? Right. Did you see what time that game started? Right. Did you remember what time the game started when the Mavericks went into L.A. with one team coming off of a win on a Friday night and the other team coming off of a loss on a Friday night and you saw what happened in that game? I don't remember because I have a memory of a goldfish because time isn't real, but... <laughs> I believe you. Yes. I have vague recollections yes. of game one. You know, the game one that happened five months ago. Yes. I have vague, vague. It feels like it's been that long. But yes, you know, like the, the early starts definitely, it feels like it's going to play into Dallas's favor. It feels like Luke is going to be up for it. If Kawhi isn't, then, then yeah, things change. Yeah. Just going back to Zubac, Zubac should not play a single second on the court when uh when Luca was on the court there was a moment there was a moment where Lou was gonna leave him out there <laughs> in the early in the fourth quarter and a very late substitution honestly a substitution that came so late that I thought the like referee should have waved it off and then Carlisle responded by taking Pal out of the game and putting Collie Stein back in because he only wanted Pal out there if Zubach was out there with Luca that was a very funny kind of a uh, strategic in-game moment but yeah, yeah. Zubac is not going to play another. It was like high another. school. It's like, go to the table, but you can't come in. Exactly. Exactly. I thought that was going to happen for a second. But yeah, Zubac is not going to play another second. He's not going to play a second when Luka's on the floor in Game 7. There is no question about that. I think the Mavericks may move away from Boban, uh, to be honest. Because I think I think Boban was a effective move that did get Zubac on the court during that decisive Game 5 third quarter run. But... I don't. I don't know. I, I think. I think they may have run out of their their juice with the Boban minutes. I disagree, Tim. Just because Boban struggled in that first half, he missed seven out of his nine shots. He had the sequence where he had multiple point blank opportunities right at the rim with you know looking like Gulliver out there, and and he couldn't finish. You know, uh, he had the unfortunate loose ball foul where it looked like Mook was hooking Boban. Yeah, he, he fouled Marcus by allowing Marcus to hook him. You know, that's a that's a that's a classic NBA foul. It was a very Boban struggled in that first half. And again, just a theme of regression. He made three baskets in the third quarter after making only two in the entire first half. They won the Boban minutes 
and when he started the third quarter, the first 649, uh, the, those eight points, they mattered. Uh, the Clippers, they took a five-point lead, and then the Mavericks had a 12-point turnaround in that third quarter. So I would be interested to see if Rick decides that Boban is not useful. He he turned things around. Uh, that first half was really tough, especially the second quarter was really tough on the Mavericks. So many turnovers, so many missed shots, especially in the paint. But they continue to get non-Kawhi Leonard Clippers out of rhythm. And this was another game where it didn't take a lot of points for one team to win it, but it took a lot of points from one player to put their stamp on this game. Yeah, I might be wrong. The Mavericks got off to good first quarter and third quarter starts. And I think that is obviously a a plus in the Boban department. So you've 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 talked me into the idea that that Boban will start. Now, if he's not effective to start the game, he's going to get a quick hook. I think my big question is the Mavericks are So so the Clippers are reacting to to Doncic by hard trapping, hard doubling him on pick and roll coverage. How do they get more out of those opportunities? I have some ideas, and I think the Mavericks missed some shots that they they should have hit. And I think Doncic will also react better. He will find, he will look at the film, he will adjust. I think he's going to be better in in Game Seven than he was in Game Six, where he was still good. He had a bunch of assists, but obviously his shooting was not up to the standards that he's been at both the series and and then just in general. You know, kind of where he's at. But yeah, I think that's the big question is how do the Mavericks, if they're going to hard double, you have to punish the team. You know, there was a lot of Maxi Kleba who just does not have a quick enough release and does not have confidence shooting with a defender close to him. And the Clippers essentially got away with it. They doubled off of Maxi, especially down the stretch in that fourth quarter. They doubled off Maxi and they could get back to him in time because Maxi does not have a quick release and it's just, he's, he's not going to take threes in that situation. You know who would? Chris has Porzingis. And I think the most egregious thing Carlisle did in the fourth quarter was not the timeout. You know, people were upset that he took a timeout with seven minutes left. I, I'm not too worried about that. It, it was actually like there was a media type timeout coming up. Um, he was kind of forced. His, his hand was kind of forced. People were mad that he played Maxi. I, I got why he played Maxi, but he was also playing Maxi with Collie Stein. One of those two big men needed to be Porzingis because we've talked so much about Porzingis. We have on this podcast. I mean, you've you've heard and read and, and seen us talking about it. We talked about it when we potted a couple of weeks ago. But Porzingis can hit these threes. Like, no, he shouldn't be taking post up twos, especially not when de- defended by Kawhi Leonard. You should like he needs to be taking ten threes. There is no excuse for him not to take a lot of threes. He is the one player who can always get that shot away, can reasonably hit them, and he's the obvious counter to a double, you know, to a hard double on Luca. And I thought it was damn near egregious that that he wasn't out there for for more minutes in the fourth quarter, especially when the team was really struggling and and the traps were coming really aggressively at Luca. Yeah, there's a there's clearly a Luca tax that is being applied to Chris Asperzingis in this series. A lot of people they you know, you and I talked about this Tim going into the series how Porzingis' injury shaped the perception of what happened in Mavericks-Clippers last year. And I was saying, look, the Clippers played pretty well when Porzingis was on the floor. And maybe Porzingis would have helped Luka, but Luka got his numbers. 
viewers only there's only one ball. I think we heard this ad nauseum when the Brooklyn Nets brought their guys together, but the Brooklyn Nets made it work because those guys are complimentary pieces. The issue has been Luca's been so great, but he's got the ball all the time. Because Chris Stapps isn't like a natural creator, you know, he's not like a playmaker consistently, and he's not the best at drawing fouls and consistently getting to the line. And because he's so far from the basket, his impact is minimized, especially if he's not having the ball as much. The fact that he's taken 13 shots combined in games five and six, no free throw attempts in either game, that is something that I wonder if you can possibly, with your season now on the line facing elimination, do you possibly like not let this guy get touches uh, going into uh, a winner-take-all game? That's going to be really fascinating for me. And... Hey, Luca, as great as he's been, you can say, man, look at Luca's volume. He's killing the Clippers. Well, Tim, is he killing Chris S. Porzingis in, in, in a way? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. You know, Porzingis has, you know, he's talked a lot post game and and he's he's been like, I've, I've learned to be patient. I've accepted my role. I'm not mentally bothered by it. The Clippers, you know, sorry, the the Mavericks, the, the coaching staff, Carlisle is asking him to be a spot up shooter and it's earned him a lot of criticism. Rightly so, because, yeah, you want more from your 30 million player. But I don't think, you know, like you got to be pragmatic, pragmatic about it. I think right now that is his best role in this series. But if you're going to be a spot up, like you can be a more impactful spot up shooter and the Mavericks can try to make him a more impactful spot up shooter than a guy who takes three three pointers. If he's going to be a spot up shooter for you, if he's going to replicate like, I guess, kind of a three and D wing. Because his defense was was solid. It was it's been really good. I thought in games five and six, he's been very solid defensively. A three and D wing is someone who also shoots threes, and you've got to get him more shots than the three three pointers he attempted. Um, he only made one, sure, but like that that is that is your most obvious outlet to have someone who can shoot over the defense, who can shoot over a recovering defense. I don't need him taking shots inside the arc. I don't care. Like, I don't need post-ups for him. I don't think that's the right move. I, I think they're right. I think the the Mavericks and the coaching staff is correct that he doesn't need to be posting up Kawhi. But his off-ball movement and his spot-up shooting, I thought Luka also missed him a few times on baseline cuts where he was open, especially against a smaller defense because, you know, once once he has a line to the rim, like, he's going to dunk over the, the defense if, if Luka can get the pass there. I think he only tried one time. He missed the pass in the fourth quarter. But that was open a lot. And so I think I think you like I think game five has to be more KP. And it's not KP in the ways that people think of him, you know, as a Nick. And it's not the KP even that he was last year. But there is a good basketball player within Porzingis that they're not using. They he has actual basketball talent on the offensive end that they're not taking advantage of. And it's it's not all the stuff that people get upset at him at not being able to do. It's a totally different profile of a player, but I think it's a profile of a player who can be effective, you know, with the way the Clippers are playing him. And all you want to do is force the Clippers out of these hard doubles so that you can get Luka the space and the opportunity and the mismatches and the isolation ball where, where, you know, anytime he takes a dribble, he doesn't have another person in his vicinity, even when they weren't hard trapping, you know, they, they were deeply helping off of them defensively. I think that that has to be what you're thinking about going into game six is that you, you have to make Porzingis an effective player because I think he can be going into game seven. 
going to game seven. I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> it's all running together. <laughs> time is a flat circle. Hey, but yeah, you did, you, you, you did mention that time is funny. So, but yeah, that's, that's my big, if I, if I have one big takeaway, I think that's it. You know, I, I think that it was, they just used him so poorly. Um, and it, I think he's willing to be that player. Like everything he said post game has been about like him accepting his role, him being okay with it, him not having like mental aspirations to be a 20 shot player or a 30 point scorer. He wants to play the role that the Mavericks have for him. And I think the role for the Mavericks, you know, that they, that they need to give to him is something more concrete and, and, you know, more prolific in the areas that he can be effective. Yeah. Just a, just a, just a quick follow on that. I mean, the best quarter for the Mavericks tonight was the third quarter. Uh, and Kristaps played nearly the entire third quarter, right? <laughs> two seconds, all but basically two seconds. And he only took one shot and he made it. Uh, he did all the other stuff that you mentioned. You know, he, he, he's, he's been a presence defensively. He's been a presence on the defensive glass, at least. Uh, if not, he, no one can really be a presence on the offensive glass. Uh, I think the best offensive rebounder, um, not by numbers, but just by action in the series, has been uh, Kleba. Powell had the best singular offensive rebound. I think you wrote about that. But Kleba's crashed really well and created uh, shots off of those offensive rebounds. But um, the Dallas Mavericks got a star performance from Dorian Finney-Smith in that third quarter, not they just did, in yeah. the three threes that he hit. Uh, which turned out to be the only ones I believe that he hit for the entire game. Correct. But he also moved the ball extremely well. Um, when the Clippers were at their most disorganized defensively in the first couple games of this series, what did you see? You saw Doncic see the, where the double was coming from. Finney Smith always be in the right spot, whether it was on the wing or flashing middle, and then hitting the next pass. It was a Doncic hockey assist, but Finney Smith was getting credit, whether it was to a cut or for a three. In that third quarter, a lot of the times, I don't, I, a lot of times is relative. Guys are only making a couple shots a quarter, right? But in that third quarter, what did you see Tim Hardaway Jr. doing? He hit one three, but it seemed like Tim did so much more because of the driving, the verve that he played with. That's when Dallas was at their the best. Verve. Take that quarter Great away. Word. <laughs> Take that away and like, man, the Clippers got comfortable because they were like, y'all ain't doing this all game. <laughs> y'all ain't right. doing this all second half. Right. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. We'll, we'll go to one Clippers thing before we get out of here. There's really three players on the court for, for the Clippers that game. You know, 45 from Kawhi. 25 somehow from Reggie Jackson, 20 from PG. Marcus <laughs> Morris was shot, one of 10. <laughs> Batum hit some. Batum had wide open shots. Like the defense, the Mavericks defense was good and it took things away, but it did not take away some wide open threes from role players. Batum and also Canard uh, both had a wide open threes. Which, and they which, missed every single, every single one, one of them. Every single from one. From three at least. Yeah. Yeah, no, no Clipper made a three pointer 
outside of Reggie, Paul, and, and Kawhi. Do you trust any of these role players headed into Game Seven? Like, which which ones do you, which ones would you bet on showing up? That's a heart stopping question and one that I really hesitate answering. Uh, this was an elimination game, and for crying out loud, uh, Reggie has been a godsend, a minimum contract guy, a late off season signing, a guy who was not in. He was guy number 10 in the rotation when this season started. Uh, Ty did not want to play Reggie. Um, nothing personal. It's just that there were too many guys and that they were playing Lou and Luke Kennard. Uh, Reggie earned this 37-minute role that you saw tonight over the course of how he took care of his body. And he was just reliable in a very odd way because Reggie Jackson's game does not s- scream reliability. He's been the best shooter of what has been an underwhelming shooting series for the Clippers. Those role players have to step up because Kawhi, I mean, you just don't ask for the kind of performance on this kind of turnaround that this Game 7 is going to be. Paul played even more than Kawhi. He played more than anybody in this game, more than Luka, more than any Mav. He didn't rest after the first quarter break, okay? Paul had a really rocky game. Uh, Twitter was ready to kill him just for turning down shots or dribbling off his foot. But the way that man played on both ends of the floor, especially in the fourth quarter, was just as important as everything Kawhi was doing as a bucket getter. Uh, Paul and Kawhi need help. And Reggie needs help because Reggie, this is you know back-to-back games where he's been the guy shooting the threes well. If Reggie didn't hit four threes in that third quarter of game five, that's a that's a that might be a 25, 30-point blowout by the Mavericks in Game 5. It would have been even more embarrassing than it already kind of was. And it's on Mook. It's on Nick Batum. Uh, not as much Batum. Those guys are grinding defensively, but Mook can't be 1 of 10. He was paid to be this, the third guy, a distant third, but a third guy. He's got to find his shot. Um, they have to get something out of the bench. Four points off the bench. Luke Kennard played because the bench was so bad per- scoring-wise in Game 5. And they were even less productive in game six. Those guys have to give the Clippers more minutes, more production. And I don't, I, I, dude, I can't. I feel like the Clippers are going to run out of players. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm just going off the series. I don't look at any player on that team outside of the three we just talked about, the, the three that we're producing in game six. I don't look at a single player and think, oh, yeah, they're going to turn around for game seven. Like, I'm not, I'm not talking for about their season as a whole. Um, obviously, I haven't, watch it's nearly as many clippers not games, about but their season or even their reps yeah it's just it's like just but, about but nothing this, yeah nothing about yeah. anything any of them have done this series makes it batum's been good defensively morris has not been good defensively marcus morris has not been a like he, he has moments here and there he's not he's not like a guy that gets blown by but luca mostly has been very effective when guarded by morris so you know i think i think they continue to welcome that he has been like essentially been helping the Mavericks this whole series I think on on both ends like you know I'm I'm over rating or I'm I'm exaggerating a little bit how bad defensively he has been he's not been bad but I think Luca is very comfortable when Morris is guarding him and I'm not sure you quite say the same for Batum and I think Batum's been better off the ball. right Batum's been outstanding he's been he's been I think Batum's been uh the best Luca defender Actually, when I looked at the tape from game one and I looked at who the heck is going to be the guy who's going to have to check Luca because you can't have Luca screaming out to the L.A. crowd that a guy is too small as profanely as he did 
as proudly and confidently as he did. He was right. There was no lie told. Luca, to my estimation, doesn't lie. Okay, so what you saw was again, Luca has played reliable NBA starters for a good Clippers team out of this series. That's what I mean by do the Clippers have enough players left? The fun thing about the playoffs, Tim, and I think you'll agree, is they elevate some guys, but they eliminate so many more. <coughs> so many more good players get eliminated. And who's going to show up? I don't know. I will give Reggie Jackson all the credit in the world for producing the way he's been because he's been the only guy who's consistently scored in double figures for the Clippers in this series. Yeah, that's actually, and this will, this will be my final point, but that's, I meant to say this earlier. Um, the Clippers are clearly, I, I think it is very fair to say the Clippers are the more talented team than the Mavericks based off everything we saw in the regular season. But Luka even that advantage by playing two of their most important players in Beverly and, and Zubac off the court. And that is, that is how you balance it out. And that's how a team, you know, that's how this goes to game seven where anything can happen. And, you know, there's no small sample size in a game seven. If Luca hits 10 threes, then he hits 10 threes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it wasn't replicable. You know, like we talked about formulas and sustainability and all that throughout the series. That doesn't matter in game seven. Who gives a shit? You know, you just got to do it. You just got to do it one time. So I think, I think that's where it's at. I think it's going to come down to shot making in a lot of ways for the Mavericks. If they can get their role players to hit threes, and in turn free up Luca and lighten the defensive, you know, focus that the Clippers have on him. I think they win. So, and I'm I'm by no means writing them off. I my gut instinct is actually to say that they do win in Game Seven. Um, but I guess we'll see. You want to you want to make predictions since I, I just threw that out there. I, I made I made a prediction when this series started. So I know we love predictions to add to that. I've, I've I've got nothing left to add. I've got nothing left to add, and I'm either going to be justified in what I said when this series started, Tim. Uh, I said that it was going to be a seven game series. I it, it was a very strange trip to get here, but it's here now. You will be in L.A. and we will see what happens, and we'll be here for either result. All right, man. I'm gonna go book a flight. Appreciate you hopping on. All right, I'm gonna go write a story. Hopefully, it's out. Oh, I got to do that later too. So I got, I got a, I got a busy, busy evening in front of me, and it's it's one thirty. So we'll see how that goes. But all right, um, listeners, thanks for thanks for tuning in. We will be back with someone. Seventy seven minutes. We'll have something after Sunday. See y'all then. Future four-time MVP. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. (laughs) It's a wrap, Doug. That is a wrap. (laughs) Woo!